So be looking for those times. We'll be posting those in the next couple of weeks and looking forward to celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So um, it, it is uh, a time of year where we can be thankful. And uh, you may be here and saying, I don't have a whole lot to be thankful for. We are thankful because we have the Lord. And, and whatever it is that you're going through or how you're feeling, uh, we as Christians can rejoice. I think of Paul the Apostle, that he was in prison, in his first imprisonment as he's writing to the church at Philippi. He says, I don't know what's going to happen with me. I don't know what the future holds, whether I'm going to be you know, sentenced to death or I'm going to be released from this imprisonment. Uh, but he would say to them that rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the whole theme of that book is rejoicing. And you and I, underneath it all, we can have a joy unspeakable, however you're feeling or struggling with or the hurts that you might have. And I really believe that the Lord wants to bless us this morning with his word. So we're going to continue through Matthew's gospel, chapter 12. We're going to start reading at the top of the chapter. So Matthew chapter 12, the first book, of course, in the New Testament, we've been going through this book chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And let's pray. So, Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning to worship you and to, Lord, gather together to be edified and comforted and built up in your word. And I pray our hearts would be teachable, um, like fertile soil that takes in the seed of the word, that it may take root there, produce fruit in our lives. But Lord, do the work that you desire to do. Help us to be teachable right now. Help us to be attentive to the things that you want to show us. We thank you that we can be here to read the written word and allow you to minister to us in a wonderful, powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were with us last week, as we ended chapter 11, Jesus would stand on a hillside in Galilee and he would give this wonderful and powerful invitation to all. He, he would cry out, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I think that's a good reminder for us this morning, because perhaps you come in and with the events of the week or the last a few weeks or the last few months, and, and you're burdened, and you're anxious. And the Lord says, you come to me personally. It's an invitation to anyone who would come. Come to me, all of you, not some of you, and come to me, first of all. Learn of me and yoke yourself with me. And my burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And we talked about that last week, that he's the one that will give us rest in our hearts, whatever it is that we're facing and going through. And he desires to do that. And as we've been going through Matthew's gospel, we have seen that Jesus, his heart towards the people. He looked at, out on chapter 9, as we saw, at the multitudes that had gathered. And he had compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. You see, Jesus was bringing true hope and refreshment and comfort to the people who had been burdened and looked down upon by the religious leaders of the day. They had emphasized religion. Jesus is emphasizing relationship. So you come to me. And it had been asked of Jesus, why don't your disciples fast like the Pharisees fast? And Jesus responded by saying, can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I'm in your midst. It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. And the time will come will, when I'm going to be taken away. And then there will be a time of fasting. 
The religious leaders were appalled and scandalized that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus would clarify his mission by saying, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So Jesus spoke with simplicity uh, that the people received him, but he also spoke with such authority as we saw the people recognize that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that the people marveled that he spoke with, with such authority, unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, he would challenge their authority, and he would tell the people, watch out for their hypocrisy, and don't follow after them. But we're going to see that the religious leaders would not only be upset with Jesus about eating with tax collectors and that he challenged their authority, that he didn't keep all their traditions. But now as we enter into chapter 12, the hatred of the religious leaders toward Jesus is going to grow. And their challenging of Jesus is going to continue as it's now going to be over the Sabbath. You see, when it came to the Sabbath and the keeping of the Sabbath, they perceived Jesus was not keeping the Sabbath. And we're going to see that in the text as we move into chapter 12. And that would really upset them. That would really cause their anger to grow and their hatred towards him. As we read at the top of the chapter of, of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So Jesus and the Pharisees are now on a head-on collision course, and it concerns the Sabbath day. Jesus and his disciples, as we read, were passing by a grain field, and they are hungry, and they were plucking the grains of wheat to have something to eat. And what the disciples were doing is they would take the grain, they would put it in their hand, they would rub it, and the chaff that surrounded the grain would, would separate, and of course, they just kind of blow it and, and blow away the chaff, and then they would eat the grain. And the Pharisees see the disciples of Jesus doing this, and they said, they're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. Now, so that we understand what is taking place here, they were not mad, the religious leaders, in indicting the disciples because they were eating the grain, what they were doing was perfectly lawful according to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25 for you note takers. You read there in the book of Deuteronomy that when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but, it shall not, but you shall not use a sickle. In other words, God in his law had provided a way for those who were poor, those who were orphaned, those who were widowed to be provided for. And in this section of Matthew's gospel, we see that it was lawful for the disciples to be plucking the grain. They weren't supposed to take a sickle and, and go into the field and start harvesting it. Uh, but if you were hungry, you could do what was described here in chapter 12, that you can go and pluck the heads of grain and you could eat it. It was also in an orchard. You could uh, eat that which had fallen on the ground or, or pick some fruit. Uh, many of the vineyards had walls around them, and it, as the vines grew over the wall to the other side, as you walked by, you could eat some of the grapes. And all of this was provided in the law. And we know as you read the book of Ruth that you see that also in the law that when they did do harvesting, that they were to go through the fields once and harvest the fields and not twice, and anything that was spilled on the ground, they were to leave for those 
who had need, those who were poor, those who were widowed. And we see Ruth, who was widowed, would go in and glean the fields. And, of course, that wonderful love story that we read of Boaz and, and Ruth and Boaz when he saw Ruth and he told his workers, just leave a little extra grain on the ground, you know, for Ruth. And, and it's a study for another time. But we see that process taking place. And here is, as we see, that the Pharisees are upset uh, about Jesus' disciples doing this. And what they're upset about is that they're doing it on the Sabbath day. And what you guys are doing is unlawful because there's to be no work on the Sabbath. The keeping of the Sabbath was huge to the Pharisees. And we know that as we read the Old Testament, when the children of Israel came to Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments. That he told the children of Israel that indeed you are to keep the Sabbath day. Six days you shall work on the seventh day shall be a day of rest. You're to keep it holy. Just as I created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh day. And at this time in the history of Israel, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Now, as we read the, the Gospels, you have different sects of the religious leaders. You have the Sadducees. Uh, you have the Pharisees. You have the scribes. And we know that the scribes were ones that not only copied the scriptures, but they were ones that made interpretations of the scriptures. It might be in your Bible, in the Gospels, that they're called lawyers. And they would interpret the law, they would interpret the scripture, and they made interpretations concerning what it means to keep the Sabbath and, and what constitutes work. And many of the scribes, it is believed, ended up becoming part of the sect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones that said, we are going to keep the most minute details of the law, what the scribes had written concerning keeping of the law. We're going to dedicate ourselves. We're going to separate ourselves. That's what the word Pharisee means, the separated ones, to keep all of those minute details. And one set of Jewish writings called the Talmud consisted of about 24 chapters on keeping the Sabbath. All the rules, all the regulations, what constitutes work, what you couldn't do. For example, they said that you could not carry a load heavier than a dried fig. And that's a pretty light load. On the Sabbath, you are forbidden to tie a knot. You can't do that because you might tie a knot on the handle of a bucket and drop it down a well and get some water for yourself. You can't do that. That is unlawful. And what your disciples are doing is that they are threshing wheat. They're putting the grains of wheat in their hands. They're rubbing it. That's threshing. That's wheat. Uh, that's uh, work. And you can't do that. It is unlawful. They were splitting hairs with their interpretation. And so the Sabbath day, it was a day to be enjoyed. It was a day of rest in the Lord, to give to the Lord. It was a good thing. It ended up, though, at this time being a day of burdens and drudgery because the Pharisees had made the Sabbath so rigid and so hard in all their interpretations, what it means to work on the Sabbath. And we're going to see that Jesus here is going to dispute with the Pharisees their claim by using three illustrations. But first of all, before we move on, I want to suggest to you this, that it was not the disciples that were guilty of working on the Sabbath, but actually it was the Pharisees. They were the ones that were guilty of working on the Sabbath day. 
You say, what do you mean? Uh, why do you say that? Why are the Pharisees out there in the first place? Why aren't they at home? Why aren't they resting on the Sabbath? Why aren't they being refreshed and renewed in the Lord? Why are they out there with their little notes, you know, watching? We're going to watch them closely. We're going to take notes. We're going to find faults. Oh, that's a violation. With their critical spirit, being cynical, uh, being judgmental, it takes a lot of work to have a critical spirit, to be judgmental, to be cynical towards others. It takes a lot of energy and work for a person to be that way. And that's the way they are. You're not keeping our laws. You're not keeping our traditions. You're not keeping the most minute details of the law. It was later on that Jesus is going to indict them and say that you've made the law of God of no effect by your traditions. So here, they're the ones that are working, working so hard to try to find fault with Jesus. And we see that he's going to defend his disciples, as we read in verse 3. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So Jesus responding to the Pharisees about the Sabbath, have you not read? Of course they had read. I mean, they're experts in the scriptures. They knew all about the scriptures. They believed in the authority of the scriptures. So I think that it was more than just maybe Jesus trying to irritate them or get a dig in to those Pharisees. I believe Jesus is being very wise because as we continue our journey through Matthew, the religious leaders are going to continue to challenge Jesus. They will come and say, why don't you? Or why do you? And Jesus, oftentimes, his response to them is he says, have you not read? It is written. And he would take them back to the word of God. And that's a very wise thing to do because there are those who will come and perhaps be argumentative and they'll be critical, they'll be cynical, and they'll tell you their opinions and their thoughts on this. And, you know, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. And you can say, well, here's what the scripture says. And if you're going to indict and be critical, please give me chapter and verse. Will you show me the word of God? But sometimes people just want to, to again, they just want to dig their spiritual trenches and throw their spiritual grenades, shoot their spiritual arrows at people. I say, show me the scriptures, because the scriptures is the final authority. They just want to be critical and cynical and argumentative with their traditions. And Jesus then takes them back. He says, have you not read? 1 Samuel chapter 21, the story of David, a man who the Pharisees very much looked up to and boasted in. David, when he was running from Saul because Saul sought his life. And David and his men were hungry and they had no food. And David came to Ahimelech, the priest, and asked for the bread. And Ahimelech gave David the holy bread from the tabernacle. We know in the Old Testament studies that the holy place, that they had the shoe bread table that had 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel. It also represented that Jesus is the bread of life. And only the priests were to eat of it, and they would change out the holy bread every Sabbath. And here comes David and his men. They're, they're hungry, and, and Ahimelech gives them the holy bread from the tabernacle. You see, in this first illustration, Jesus is showing the Pharisees 
you want to be so hard, you want to be so rigid and split hairs over the law and your interpretation, you need to remember how David and his men had need. They were hungry. They were to the point of physical exhaustion. And so they ate of the holy bread because human need is more important than the ceremonial rituals in your traditions. And you're letting your traditions get in the way of blessing and feeding and helping. My guys are hungry and they need to eat. And so the Pharisees, again, they knew the story of David in 1 Samuel 21, but they had missed the meaning, the compassion. They didn't really understand the heart of God, opening their hearts to know God's heart. And that's why the Pharisees looked at the people with such contempt. But Jesus, showing the heart of God, looked at the people with compassion. He cared for the people. He saw their needs. He, he would meet their needs. He would minister to them. Again, as we touched on last week, it's important for us as Christians to study the scriptures. I believe it's very important and critical, especially in the day in which we are in, to be ones that were students of the scripture. Study to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. But we don't just study the word of God for an intellectual exercise. We study the word of God that we might know him, to know truth, because he is truth. To know the heart of God. Lord, as we prayed this morning, give me a soft heart. Next chapter, we're going to see the parable of the sower who's going to go out and sow seeds among the ground. And the seed represents the word of God and the different types of soil that is sown on. We are to have fertile soil that it may take, you know, be sown there, take root there, grow there and produce fruit in our lives. So whenever that we have devotion, whenever we have Bible study, Lord, soften my heart. Give me a tender heart that I would know you as I read your word. As you teach me and show me your way, your compassion, your love, your grace, and your mercy. And then the second illustration that he points to, verse 5. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? So the priests on the Sabbath day, they're involved in work on the Sabbath. They perform their duties in making of the holy bread with the Sabbath offerings. You can read Numbers chapter 28 and the other duties that they perform. They work on the Sabbath day. It's not a day of rest for them. But you know that they are blameless. And then Jesus thirdly draws a conclusion, a very powerful conclusion, verse 6. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would ha not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Wow. This is the second time. The first time was in Matthew chapter 9. Remember, Jesus is in Matthew's house eating with tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees come by. They say to the disciples, why does your master do that? Why does your teacher eat with them? And Jesus, hearing that, would say, you need to go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And again, he says the same thing. You know the scriptures, but you're missing the heart of God. You're missing the heart of the Father. Remember, Jesus told those disciples in that upper room, if you want to, to see the Father, then see me. When you see me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know the Father, know me. You want to know the heart of God? Then know my heart. Because sometimes Christians, they picture God as a mean old man, the father up in heaven with a long white beard, you know, 
that he wants to zap everyone who gets out of line. And Jesus is kind of running around, running interference. Oh, please don't hurt them. If you want to know the Father, know Jesus. And that's why we study Jesus very carefully. That's why when we study how his compassion is displayed here, it's the compassion of our Father. The Father wants mercy more than sacrifice. He wants love more than the law. Now, you see, they came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God of all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul comes along in the book of Romans, and he says, you can sum up the law in one word, love. Loving God, loving others. Love more than the law. Relationship more than the rituals. And you know this, guys, that in this place is one greater than the temple. I would have loved to see the look on their faces. It, that would floor them. I mean, that would be a shock to them. Because nothing was greater than the temple there in Jerusalem except God himself. And know that the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That was a direct claim of deity. And they would understand what it was that he was claiming. He was claiming to be God. And so we are reminded once again that as we read the scriptures, the commandments, the principles, they're not meant to burden us, but to be a blessing to us and beneficial to us. We know that in Mark chapter 2, he responded by saying the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it is beneficial. It is a blessing when a man or a woman, whoever, takes a day and stops his work and is refreshed in the Lord. It is for man's benefit. It is not to be burdensome. It's not just to be some, you know, keeping some arbitrary rule that you've made up and then it becomes a burden and drudgery on this Sabbath day when it comes along. A verse that I have given to you guys over and over again, I'm going to give it to you once again, but I think it's very important. You know, Peter would write, I will not be negligent to remind you of these things, though you be established in them. Paul would say, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, a very important verse, not only for us to take heed to and have in our hearts but to teach our kids and to others to share with them. That John writes, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Always remember that every commandment, every truth of God that is given is an expression of his love for you. It's an expression of his love for you. And his commandments are not burdensome. When he gives us a commandment, when he tells us to live pure lives, to pursue righteousness. Here's the right way, the good way, is to be a blessing and a benefit and a help and to keep us safe. It's not to be burdensome. God's not trying to limit us or, or make our lives a drudgery or boring or any of that. He wants us to experience that abundant life. And his commandments given to us, he loves us so much. It's not to be a burden to us. So this encounter concerning the Sabbath will go from the fields now to the synagogue. As verse 9, now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. We know in Luke's account of this that this was another synagogue. So this is at least another week or a couple weeks. We don't know for sure, but it's not the same Sabbath. It's another Sabbath. We also know that it was very customary for Jesus to go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. We know that from Luke chapter 4, verse 16. 
And as he goes into the synagogue on another Sabbath, I'm sure the Pharisees are going, we've got to come up with a plan. We've got to find a reason to accuse him. Next time, we know that he goes to the synagogue, let's set up something so we can have a reason to accuse him. And the Pharisees are there. And it's interesting that Matthew records that Jesus went into their synagogue. And not only were the Pharisees there, but verse 10, and behold, in other words, this is important, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? It is suggested that the Pharisees perhaps planted this man with the withered hand there in the synagogue. We don't know for sure. But we do know this, that the religious leaders want to accuse Jesus. They want to set him up to see if he will heal on the Sabbath. Mark's gospel tells us of this account that they watched him closely. Luke tells us, being a doctor, as he tells us it was specifically the man's right hand that was withered. We don't know anything about this man with the withered hand. We don't know if he was born that way. We don't know if uh, something happened, there was an accident sometime in his life that, that he had this withered hand. Uh, but in this vignette here, you have Jesus... You have the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus and accuse him. And you have, thirdly, the man with the withered hand. So let's read what happens as the Pharisees ask Jesus, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In verse 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Tell us, miracle man, is it lawful to heal on a Sabbath? Now, a couple things here. First of all, they recognized, those religious leaders, that he had the power to heal. The enemies of Jesus, have you ever noticed, never questioned his ability to heal or to do miracles. They would say that he does it by the power of Satan, as we saw in chapter 9. The Pharisee says that he cast out demons by the power of demons. And, of course, Jesus would dispute that. And he would you know, show them how ridiculous and foolish their, their, their accusation was. Uh, don't you know that a house divided cannot stand? If Satan is also divided against himself, how will he stand? So the enemies of Jesus recognized that he had power to heal. They did not dispute that. That he worked miracles. And I point that out because there are those today that will consider themselves as great thinkers, as great philosophers, scholars themselves, and they will question whether Jesus did miracles. And they will try to explain away, or they will say, the miracles of the Bible didn't really happen. And the reason that they do that is because they don't really believe the Bible. And what intrigues me is these prideful, pompous religious leaders, knowing that Jesus had the power of God to heal, they knew that when he walked into that synagogue, that he would gravitate to the man who had need. Because he's moved with compassion. He was one that met and was sensitive to the needs of others. And we're going to watch him. We're going to see if he heals on the Sabbath day. And then we can accuse him of breaking our traditions, our laws, that it's unlawful. You see, as you travel through the Gospels, they did this oftentimes. For example, John chapter 5. In Jerusalem, there was a man that was 
paralyzed, couldn't walk. He was that way for 38 years there at the pool of Bethesda. And as we go to Jerusalem in our trips, we go to that pool where they've excavated, where that event took place. And Jesus said to that man, do you want to be made well? The man said, I have no one to help me. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And as they took up his bed and walked, it was on the, the Sabbath day, the, the Pharisees saw it and they said, who told you you can do that? Well, Jesus. And we see in that chapter, in verse 16 of John chapter 5, that the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done those things on the Sabbath day. You travel through Luke's gospel. Luke gives a number of his examples that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, and the religious leaders were so upset. And here in Matthew chapter 12, when he does this miracle, they plotted against him how they might destroy him. And, and, and in you know, Luke's account, it tells us, as Jesus is here in this synagogue, that he knew their thoughts. He knew what they were up to. He knew that they're plotting here. They're wanting to hurl this accusation against him. And Jesus asked them, listen, which of you, who if one of your sheep falls into a pit, will not pull it out on the Sabbath? How much more value a man is than an animal? Therefore, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? And then Mark's gospel tells us that he looked at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. In other words, Jesus, he had a righteous anger towards them, and he had that because they just didn't care about people at all. They burdened the people. And in John chapter 5, instead of rejoicing that a man for 38 years wasn't able to walk suffering and he is healed, they're upset because it happened on Saturday and not on Sunday. Those religious leaders are using this man with the withered hand. They could care less about him. All they cared about was their traditions. You guys care more about your sheep than a man that is hurting and is in need. This man whose hand is withered, he probably couldn't work. He had no income. That was before there was any help, any disability benefits, any Social Security or, or workman's comp, any aid whatsoever. He would be looked down upon by the religious leaders. Again, he's being used by them. And it angered and it grieved our Lord because their hearts were so hard. They were so callous towards the people in their attitudes here, in their actions, critical, overanalyzing, looking to find fault. I pray it's not said of that, of us, that we're just interested in pointing fingers at others rather than I really need to pray for them. I'm going to tear them down and put them down rather than build them up. I'm just going to argue all the time rather than encouraging. And I have seen that it can happen with Christians. It has happened this year because we see things and we get so upset by it. And we begin to argue, we begin to criticize we become so negative. Paul, in writing to Timothy, and Paul writes it right before he's executed, he says, Timothy, if you want to be a minister of God, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate stri strife. And a servant of God must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, 
And in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, in humility, don't miss that, in humility, sometimes we have to bring correction. We speak the truth in love, as Ephesians says. These Pharisees, all they wanted to do is find fault. They were so hard towards the people. They were hypocritical, and Jesus is calling them on this. You care more about your traditions than about somebody who's in trouble. You care more about your sheep than about people. I was thinking about this. Here in our state, we're more interested in wolves than we are about saving babies. And then Jesus would turn away from the Pharisees, and he would indeed turn towards the one with the withered hand, the one who had need. You see, maybe you're here today, number one. Maybe you look around. You see what's going on around. And I know people coming in this week. And you're upset and you're angry and you say, I have a right to be angry as I look at things politically, as I look at things socially, as I look at things economically. I'm angry. And I see what's going on in this world and it concerns me and it brings anger to me. I, I, I get it. But you see, Jesus looked at them with anger, and then he turned his attention on the man with the withered hand. I want to remind you of something. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are hurting. And if you get on the prayer chain, you'll see that. People that are in pain because of sickness, they're fighting cancer. People that are going through tremendous challenges economically or challenges that have come in their family, the hurt, the pain. We have parents that they don't know where their child is because they ran away. And we can get so caught up in, in the world and the things of the world. I understand that. But there's people to minister to that there are things in their lives that have withered. And maybe you're here. And maybe there's something that has withered in your life. Jesus says to you, I see you. I care about you. He doesn't just leave you there. And just as he will show compassion towards, as we read, and his power to that man in the synagogue, that his desire is to do the same thing with you. You see, after dealing with the Pharisees and their hypocrisy and hardness of heart, then he turns his attention back to the man with the withered hand. Mark account tells us that Jesus said to him, and I can just picture, here's this man in the back seeing this scene that's going on. Is it lawful to teach on the Sabbath? Jesus answers them, and then Jesus turns from the Pharisees. He turns to the man with the withered hand, and he said, you, stand up. Can you imagine that, the Son of God looking at you and saying, you, stand up. And the man stands up. And maybe you feel like that, I'm kind of in the back. Oh, not in the back of the sanctuary. But you're not up front. You kind of hang out in the back, on the fringes. And you think that God's not going to take notice of you. He does. 
And maybe there's some area of your life where he's saying, stand forward, stand up. I wonder what that man thought when he saw, I know Jesus looked at him right now, he said, you, stand up. If he was frightened, if he's saying, don't get me involved in this, what do you mean stand up? This is between you and those religious leaders up front that want the best of the seeds. Or did he say, man, the one who works miracle, he noticed me, he sees me. But the man stands up, he stands forth. And then Matthew now picks it up and he says, now stretch forth that hand that's withered. Stretch it forth. What did he think? Did he think, what do you mean stretch it forth? I can't stretch it forth. The hand is withered. I can't do that. The, the muscles are all uh, shriveled and the nerves are shot and the bone structure. I cannot do it. Why are you telling me to do it? To do something that I can't do. So can I ask you a question as we close this morning? What's he telling you to do? Some area of your life that is withered. And you're saying, I cannot do that. I can't do that. I cannot forgive that person when God has told you to forgive. I can't get rid of that bitterness in my life. I can't get rid of that anger. I can't get rid of that sin. It just has got a grip on my life. I can't change my attitude. And I want you to know something. You can't in your own energy. This man, he couldn't stretch forth his hand on his own. But as he heard the commandment of God and the voice of the Lord, you stand up. Now stretch it forth. And as he heard the voice of the Lord, as he, he heard it, he dared to stretch it forth. And as he did, the Lord worked and it became whole and he was healed. And I want you to remember a very important truth in Scripture, that when God commands you to do something, he's going to enable you to do it. When God commands you to do something, he's going to enable you and strengthen you to do it, that you can't do in your own energy. Lord, I need to forgive. There's the imperative to forgive. I've been hurt by this person, and I'm going to do it day by day, bit by bit, over and over again, that you do that work in my heart and in my life to forgive. Lord, I'm not going to just be angry all the time because I hear your word that says, do not be angry, do not sin, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I'm going to put it aside, anger and wrath and all that. You've told me in your word to do that. Lord, help me to do that. Lord, that I am to walk in holiness, walk in the spirit. You will not fulfill the desires of your flesh. Lord, I need to stay close to you, yoke myself to you so I don't have this sin that grips my life. Lord, I need to get rid of these things. Lord, I hear your voice and what you command me to do, you will strengthen me and enable me to do. So perhaps the Lord is saying this morning, stand forth, stand up, and stretch forth your hand. So Father, we thank you. And we thank you for this little vignette that speaks powerfully to us. Because we need you. And whatever it is that we're facing, whatever it is that we're going through, whatever is withered in our life. We hear your word. We read the commands. And we know 
that you will help us by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will enable us. So I pray this morning for those who have something withered in their hearts, in their life, they would stretch it forth as they hear your word and trust in you to know that you have compassion, you desire to work in our lives. Father, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom and the trust to look to you. Father, I pray that we will remember this, that we're to be a people of compassion. We see a messed up world around us, but we belong to a kingdom that will last forever. And we have a message of hope to give to others, and a message of eternal life. Peter said, you have the words of eternal life to give to others, and we won't, don't want to forget that, to have a tender heart to know you, to minister to others. Yes, even when we have to bring correction, that we do it in a way with the authority of Scripture and the love of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that you've never really truly given your life to Jesus, that you would come to him for salvation because it comes by putting your faith and trust in the finished work of the cross. He died for your sins and he rose again. You can't earn it. He did the work. You come believing. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that's you this morning, today is the day of salvation. And you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You're alive. You rose from the grave. Forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your promise of forgiveness and eternal life and bringing me into the family of God. I want to know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And for all of us, as we leave this place, that we're built up and encouraged, that we would stretch forth that hand that you're speaking to us, that thing that's withered, trusting in you to work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand? If anybody made a decision for the Lord, I'd love to pray with you, or you just need prayer, I'll be here to pray with you. Travis is going to close us and then we'll be dismissed. And as you speak A hundred billion galaxies are born In the vapor of your breath the planets form If the stars were made to work so alive I can see your heart and everything you made every burning star a signal fire of grace if creation sings your praises so alive amen God bless you guys have a great week we hope to see you again soon